morning. If you'll turn your Bibles with me to 2 Corinthians 3 this morning. for a joke? I know Drew Owen is. He's the only person that comes up to me afterwards and said, man, that was a good joke. (laughs) So why was the shirt so depressed? Why was the shirt so depressed? Because his pants were so blue. Come on. That's world-class humor. All right. Now you're ready for God's Word, right? Okay, 2 Corinthians 3, 16-18. That wasn't the best joke. It was the only one I could remember this morning, though. Hey, we're going to start a three-part series on glory from 2 Corinthians 3. And the, the reason is because last year, when I, when I got here about a year and a half ago, part of my questioning was, you know, what's the vision of the church? What are we asking God to do in the life of our church? What are our mission points? And as we begin to work through those things, I, I began to meet with Clay Howell and Jim Robinson on a weekly, bi-weekly basis sometimes, really focusing on 2 Corinthians 3, on the glory of Christ and how people's lives are transformed. So I'm going to preach three sermons from 2 Corinthians 3 about the glory of Christ, and then we're going to talk about how that applies to our church and where we're going and what we're going to be asking you in terms of prayer, okay? So this is the first one this morning, the glory of Christ, part 1, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 16 to 18. The believer's greatest need, your greatest need, my greatest need, is to see, experience, to know, to enjoy the glory of Christ. You will only understand the Bible as a whole to the extent that you understand the glory of Christ, and that's what it's about. And to the extent that you don't know or you're not pursuing, knowing, and experiencing the glory of Jesus Christ, His greatness in your life, your life will be filled with spiritual darkness and coldness. You say, Rusty, what do you mean by the glory of Christ? Well, it's just this. It's the greatness of God revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. So I I think one of the best ways from nature to understand that is you think about the sun. What what is the sun? It's it's fire and gas and just white hot. But what is the expression of that? It's light and sunbeams, right? And what we know from the sun comes from what the radiance that comes off of it. The glory of Christ is the radiance that comes off of God. It's how you know God. It's what we know about God. And it's our experience of God is through the glory of Christ. In the same way, when you go and you stand in the sun, which is the reason we go to the beach so often, you experience heat and warmth and light, and we love it. And so, when we experience the glory of Christ spiritually, 
It transforms us. So knowing Christ is the great means for the Christian's life to be changed. In God's kingdom, there's one great instrument, mechanism, to change your life, and it is the glory of Jesus Christ. So let me read 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm going to start at verse 12. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened, for to this day when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Please pray with me once more. Oh God, what an amazing thing that you've done in the gospel and through faith in Christ. You say the veil has been removed. That means that we can see and we can know you in amazing ways. Father, there's a freedom now in Christ joined to him to experience your glory, which is what we are made for to transform us. Father, I I pray today when we leave here just that our hearts would be on fire with a desire to know more of the glory and the sweetness and the greatness of Jesus, who He is as a person. God, use Your Word right now as an instrument in our lives. And let Your name be glorified during this time. In Jesus' name, Amen. Um, Several years ago, my daughter Adelaide, who's sitting here on the front row. I, now, I want to say, as, as we work through this text, some of what I'm saying you've heard before, and I've, I've given you bits and pieces, and now we're trying to pull it all together. Okay? So there was a, um, a, a cross-country race in our small school called Emmanuel Christian School. And our kids volunteered to be involved in it, and they ran the race, and so she qualified for the next race up. Now, now I'm going to go hypothetical. Let's just say we're in that regional race she qualified for. There's some really big girls. And imagine the race goes like this. After the first lap, there we are. Watching, she comes around. She says, how am I doing? I go up to her and I say, you're doing fine. And I put a backpack on her back, and it's full of rocks. And I say, now go! And she takes off. She comes around the second lap, and she's a little bit further behind. And she said, how am I doing? And I said, great. And I get her dress. And I came up, and I put her arms through it and her legs through it. And I say, now go! And she takes off. She comes around the third lap, and there go all the girls. And here she comes. She's bottom of her dress is all muddy. She's got her big backpack full of rocks on. And she looks over at me and I say, no, 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 no. 
Stop looking at me for encouragement. Watch your laces. Now go run. She goes off into the mud. She falls down, and she's screaming, I quit. (laughs) We're in the car ride home, and she looks at me with those big eyes, and she says, what went wrong? I said, girl, you just didn't run hard enough. Just not enough effort. What you needed was more effort. Now, often, my friends, that's exactly how we are in our Christian race. From the time that you come to Christ and until the time that you go to heaven, God calls us to growth, to transformation, to become more Christ-like. And if you are a Christian, a follower of Jesus, what is abundantly clear is, I need to grow. I need to change. I need greater victory over my sin. I need to be more like Christ. But what is not so obvious is how that transformation, what's the mechanism for that to happen in my life? You say, well, I think I know. Some think change happens just by reading the Bible. So they read some and nothing happens. So they shelve it. Some think change happens if I just go to church and I sit on the back row and then I leave, change will happen. They come and their life doesn't change. Some think change happens by following a large set of rules so that they they form a very small window that they're going to live in and everything out there are don'ts that they cannot do, but their heart never changes. And they feel like they're trying to run the race, weighted down, wondering why their walk with Christ is so dead and dry, and they have very little desire to worship. So my question is, how does does real life change? How do we actually grow spiritually, have victory, love for God, real joy? 2 Corinthians 3. Paul tells us how we change here. First, he says, people, the world, has a veil over their face. So they do not see, they do not know the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ. But when you become a believer, and part of what we call being born again, when we turn to Christ, this veil is removed, is lifted away which means you can actually see and know and experience God through Christ. And the more you see and know His greatness, the more your lives change and you become more like Him. The more we experience His glory, that glory transforms you. So that's the mechanism. So here's the main idea today. Beholding the glory of Christ is your greatest need. And it's your children's greatest need. And it's your spouse's greatest need. And your mother's greatest need. Beholding, experiencing the glory of Christ is your greatest need. Let's start with this. Point one. God's glory is veiled in darkness. If you'll look at verse 14 and 15. Verse 14 and 15. I'll just read that once more. But their minds were hardened, for to this day when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, 
because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. Notice those words. To this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. He's describing the Jews in the Old Testament, how they were hardened to see and to know God, so that even today, when the gospel, when the the scripture was read in Paul's day, the Bible is read, they cannot and did not see the glory of God in the person of Christ. You see, since man fell from God by sin, part of the curse and the punishment upon man is that we live in spiritual darkness. We no longer experience his glory, the nature of God. Let me tell you how Paul says it. Colossians 1.15, he says God is the invisible God. 1 Corinthians 1.21, the world did not know God through wisdom. So through its own wisdom, it doesn't know him. Ephesians 2.12, we are without God in the world. All those, the same way of saying we're veiled to seeing and knowing God outside of Christ. So we are born in a world where man has no natural light, no guide. Only its own wisdom, imagination, what we see in creation, regardless of what people might call the inner light or feeling. So the Bible describes it like this. Acts 17, 27. Those who feel after God in darkness. Now, this is not how God made us to be. He created us for glory, to know Him to walk with Him, to enjoy Him. And until we know God and His glory and are experiencing it, something is missing in my life. There will be a constant searching for glory to satisfy us. But it never does. Here's what feeling after darkness, after God in darkness, looks like. In, in Oprah Winfrey's life class, she was discussing God's view of us And she said this. How you treat yourself is how you treat God. Because you are the representative of God in your life. Therefore, you must put yourself first. Please don't anybody say, that's Bible. (laughs) Unless you put yourself first, you're putting God last. When you start sacrificing yourself for other people, you make them a thief because they are stealing from your need. Have you ever heard such rubbish in your life? And the world hears that and they say, yes, put God first by putting myself first. Sacrifice for others is stealing what I need. That is feeling after God in darkness, veiled. So what does God do when sin has brought his creation into darkness? He sends light in the person of Jesus Christ. Verse 16 and 17. Look in your Bibles with me, please. So we do not lose heart. Oh, that's chapter 4. Verse, verse chapter 3. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. 
For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Notice those words. When one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. There is freedom. When we come to Christ by faith, the veil that he's talking about of not knowing God and keeping us in spiritual darkness is taken away. The veil has been removed for a reason, though. Because now you've been given a heart, a new heart for a purpose so that you might see and know and experience Him. And you've been given the Holy Spirit for that same design. All to give you enabling grace. The freedom and the ability to again intimately know and experience God, His glory through Jesus Christ. Look, this is how he says it in chapter 4 verse 6. The light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In the face, the person of Jesus Christ, you see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Hebrews 1.3 Jesus is the brightness of the Father's glory. So all the treasure of God's glory are seen in Christ. He is our God revealer. So when you see Jesus, you see the glory of God revealed, made known. So, do you want to know the glory of God's love? You you want to know the greatness of His wisdom, of His judgments, of His grace? All are found in the life, the death, the resurrection, and the ongoing ministry of Jesus Christ to us. Well, here's where I think we stumble a little bit. Sometimes we only focus on one aspect of His glory, and we never go any deeper. We live in a modern grace movement, you might say, where countless books are written on one topic, Transforming Grace. So so here's a few book titles. And they're good books. They're great books. Living in Grace. Grace is Greater. Transforming Grace. What's so amazing about grace? And my favorite is Awesome Grace. No, I'm just joking. There is no awesome grace. And the list goes on. Now listen, here's where I'm going with this. Certainly, grace is part of God's glory, but sometimes that's all we focus on. We have to be careful not to reduce the glory of Christ to a very singular message. Reducing it to focus solely on God's grace or God's love so that we miss so much more of God's glory in Christ given to us to be enjoyed which we must know and behold to grow spiritually. So think about it like this. You come home to your husband and you guys are are married and suddenly your husband only has one answer for you. Maybe a friend, same thing, one answer. I love you, I love you, I love you. So, you have a hard day at work and you come home and you say, Honey, I am so exhausted. Do you think I should quit my job? They're asking me to work now Saturday mornings. And he says, I love you, I love you, I love you. You say, great. That next week, one of your children comes home from school and they bring a bad mark. And you say, what what should we do? Should we get a tutor? I love you, I love you, I love you. Huh, great. I love you too. 
hey, you know, we need to talk about this travel ball that our kids are playing, and we're not going to church much on Sunday, and they're always asking us to practice. What do you think we should do? I love you, I love you, I love you. You see, this is going, right? Now, any relationship or marriage or friendship is so much more than just, I love you. And to stop there makes a very small relationship with little intimacy. And our relationship with God is so much more than just He loves us or His grace is sufficient. So Jesus and His glory, you might say, are God's banquet to save us. And yeah, the the turkey on the table is God's love for you and His grace for you. But there's a whole banquet table of God's glory set out for us to enjoy. So yeah, know about God's love and about His grace. Absolutely. But to grow spiritually, we have to be committed to knowing all of His glory revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. So I'll say it like this. You are called to all of Christ and His greatness. And the more you experience Christ, the more you experience life change. Now that's going to lead us to the last thing. Verse 18. Look there in your Bibles and I'll read it once more. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Notice those words, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image. It means knowing Christ and His glory is what transforms your life. To look like Him, this is where victory comes from. Victory over my laziness. Where does that come from? Or, or to have joy when I'm struggling with sadness or overcoming sexual addictions or a heart that can love my wife or she can love me when I butcher a deer in our kitchen and there's bloody mess and I say, I'm just going to go to bed. I've done a pretty good job cleaning it up. Now, I'm not saying that really happened or anything. But where does that ability to come from? Or ability to be consistent with your children. It comes from beholding and experiencing the glory of Christ. That is the source of transforming grace for the believer, for the non-believer, and eternity. Now please catch this. There is one thing, there is one mechanism that transforms lives for the believer, for the non-believer, and for you in eternity. For the non-believer, they have to see Jesus is the Son of God, His glory. They have to understand that He is the Lamb of God that died for them, His glory. They have to understand that His sacrifice made atonement for them, His glory. They have to see and behold with eyes of faith who Jesus is, the Son of God who died for them to be saved, right? Well, guess what? It's the same for you. As a Christian, how do you grow? The same thing, His glory. You have to see the love of God in Christ for you to grow. You have to see that when you sin and struggle again and again and again with the same thing, His grace is sufficient, the glory of His grace, to grow. 
You have to understand that when you're struggling with difficult times and you don't know where answers come from, the glory of His wisdom to grow. In other words, what I'm saying is for your life to grow as a believer, it's the glory of Christ. And guess what? In eternity, when you see Christ face to face, His glory, it will transform you. That's what changes you in eternity. 1 John 3, 2. We know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. You'll be like Him when you see Him, His glory. So man's need is always the same thing. Non-believer, believer in eternity to experience in glo- the glory and the greatness of Jesus. Now, okay, Rusty... What does it mean, I am beholding the glory of Christ? What, what does that mean, to behold it? Well, John 1.14, I want to read this to you because this is what John says in the very beginning. And talking about the disciples. We saw his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So my friends, to be a Christian is to proclaim that you have seen and know the glory of Christ. I know it, I behold it, I believe it. Now this is how this works. It is not enough that He took our nature and became flesh and became a man. But we take His nature to be ours by His Spirit. Christ is in us. He implants in our souls all the gracious qualifications to be saved, to know Him in this life. The Bible calls this the new man, the new creature. You're born again, partakers of the divine nature, born of His Spirit, putting on Christ. The church is bone of His bone, flesh of His flesh in Christ, so that He really communicates Himself and His glory to you. And He did all that so that you can experience it, behold it, and be transformed to be more like Him in this life. Okay? How do we think and live this? All right, Rusty, I understand what you're saying. How do I do that? How do I behold and experience more the glory of Christ in this life? Now, I've used this illustration before, but I absolutely love it. Let's say that you go on holiday to the South Island of New Zealand, the most beautiful place in the world. And there's a little town there called Milford Sound, which is incredible. And let's just say that your boss has three cabins that they own there, and he gives you three different sets of keys, and he says, look, you've got two weeks off. Go and just choose the cabin that you want. And you say, fantastic. Milford Sound? (laughs) South Island of New Zealand for a week? You go ride, you pull in. It's unbelievable. The mountains are glorious. Out in front, you see the sound, and there are whales jumping in the sounds, and dolphins, and all kind of cool stuff. There are 14-pound brown trout in the creek running in front of your house, just jumping in the air. You'll appreciate that if you're a fly fisherman, right? So you run into the first house. You unlock it. All your kids are so excited. They're giddy. You run in. And it's dark. You shut the door behind you and you you can't see the light. You can't see anything. There are no windows. 
and you experience nothing of the glory that's around you. And you say, if we stayed here for a week, we'd have a terrible holiday. Let's go to the next cabin. So you run to the next cabin and you get the key and you open it up and you fling open the door and it's the exact same cabin. And there's just a little bit of light coming in. The, the, the top, there are those little rectangle windows up there. And you look and you say, well, we can see a little bit, but I can't see the 14-pound brown trout from here. Let's check out the third cabin. And so you run around and you open the third cabin and it's all glass, even the bedroom. And the sun is beaming in and the place is warm and it feels good and you can see everything that's out there. You see giant red stag running by. You see huge fish. You see giant birds. It's amazing. And you know what your response is? You turn to your kids and you say, this is awesome! You praise and you worship. You know why? Because you experience the glory of creation through windows. You've got windows in your life. God's put them there for you to experience His glory and be transformed. And I want to ask you, which one of those houses describes your life? Is it the first one? It's dark. There's no light. You come. You don't want to worship. You wonder why it's joyless. Is it the second one where there's just a little bit of light? Or is it the third one where you're enjoying God and His glory is coming through? You say, okay, Rusty, what are the windows? Well, the windows are His means of grace. His Word, prayer, coming and sitting in under the preached Word, fellowship with other believers, these are all His windows to you. The Lord's Supper. So why is it that we stop growing spiritually? Most Christians will not grow in the graces of life because we will not take the time and the trouble to spend time in the windows to meditate on Christ and His glory, in His Word. The things that we think of must be the things that transform us. Lack of meditating on Christ and His truth and His glory is the fundamental thing that keeps most Christians so low in their graces. We assent and we say yes to gospel truth. Yes, He's the Son of God. Yes, He died for me. But when we don't take time to meditate on His glory in time in front of those windows to study it, our graces, our ability to love, joy, peace, patience, or love. So let's close with this. Like the Puritans used to say, don't waste your thoughts. Don't waste your thoughts. The most beneficial thing that you can do is to meditate on Jesus Christ in the windows, in His Word, in His prayer, in the Lord's Supper, through baptism, through fellowship, all by the power of the Holy Spirit. Those are the things that transform you. Now, I just want to encourage you, start small with that. Maybe you've never done that. Why don't you just get a verse and put it on your phone? Just one about who Christ is. And then throughout your day, take it, meditate on it. 
Ask the Holy Spirit to teach you. Or if you're like me, you like carrying those old index cards around. Maybe that's what you need to do. And just put one verse and meditate on it. Chew on it. Come back to it again and again and again. And what you will see is you will experience more of the glory of Christ. And as you do, it will be like light coming into a house. It will transform you. Amen? Father, thank you so much. For Christ, who's died, been raised, that we might have newness of life, we come to you with a veil. We come to you in darkness. Father, you've lifted it. You've given us eyes to see. You've made us new people by faith in Christ. Truly, we are born again. But God, there's the old nature, and there's a battle, and we need more light and truth. Thank you for windows. Thank you, Lord, for giving us means of grace where truly light and heat and glory of Christ streams into us. Father, may we prioritize that. May we see that's what we need most. And it's with a thankful heart that I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.